God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that in Christ we can do all things. Thank you that on our behalf you came. You died for our sins. You paid the price for our sin. You brought us true life. You give us a hope that you will return again, that you will make all things new, that you will restore all things. God, to this we cling. And in this we rejoice that we have life in you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. So today we're continuing our series on community, and we're going to look at what does it mean to be a serving community. Uh, We're actually going to spend two weeks on this, and Troy is going to wrap things up for us next week. So look forward to hearing Troy. Uh, Back in 2009, Simon Sinek, uh, a leadership expert, gave a TED Talk, uh, and it was entitled, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. It's the fourth most viewed TED Talk ever. I think it has like 68 million views. And in it, uh, he talks about the importance of, at the beginning of any venture that you're entering into, considering the why behind why you're doing it. And that's what I hope to do this morning. Uh, I want us to take some time to look at some of the whys behind serving and what the importance that serving is to us as a spiritual community. I want to do that uh, this morning by starting looking at one of Jesus' interactions with his disciples. Uh, In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus and the guys are heading to Jerusalem, and it's towards the end of his ministry. Uh, He knows what's coming, and so he takes the opportunity to remind his disciples that part of his journey is going to include him being betrayed, arrested, uh, crucified, and then later will involve him rising from the dead. Now, the response of two of his disciples, James and John, who are brothers, is not exactly what you would expect when someone gives you that kind of news. They actually almost ignore what he says and, in response, ask Jesus if they can have positions of authority and power in his kingdom. Uh, Seems like a little bit of a disconnect there. It's kind of uh, an odd Interaction. In fact, they actually ask their mom to ask Jesus the question for them, right? Uh, because in their culture, and maybe this is still true today, uh, older women somehow had the freedom to ask questions that other people were not allowed to ask, right? So they know what they're doing. They're kind of hedging their bets here. They're getting mom to ask for them, uh, which would have made sense. It's possible. Uh, that John uh, and James are also distant cousins of Jesus, and so uh, their mom would have been someone that Jesus would have known as a family member and maybe given extra uh, privilege to. So they send mom, and like I said, it's a little bit of an odd uh, interaction. We know that from all the uh, gospel accounts, the disciples really did not understand what Jesus meant when he told them that he would die and rise again until after the resurrection actually happened. Uh, So we... I think I have to give them a little bit of slack here because I'm sure they just weren't entirely convinced or, or knew what Jesus was talking about. Uh, but their, their response, if you read the text, is almost dismissive and rude. It's kind of like Jesus shares this important thing and then they say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's great. Listen, 
our mom has a question for you. Do you have a minute? And it's like they just sort of go right past it. Uh, now, maybe they thought, and I'm trying to give them some grace here because I know that we would need this for ourselves. Uh, maybe they thought that since Jesus was talking about dying, that that meant that his kingdom had to come before that. So if they wanted positions in the kingdom, they needed to act fast, right? Um, and to be fair, the mom's request was very respectful. Uh, in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 20, we read this. It says, When the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down, asked Jesus for a favor. So kneeling in front of Jesus would have been a sign of respect uh, of his position as a rabbi or teacher in their society. Uh, it also might have been a sign that she believed that he was the promised Messiah that was to come. <clears throat> The, ver- the chapter or the, the passage continues uh, in verse 21. It says, What is it that you want? Jesus asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So, again, what mom is asking for here is positions of authority and power for her sons when Jesus comes into his kingdom. Now, <clears throat> as the conversation's going on, uh, naturally, the other ten hear this, right? And they figure out what's going on. And verse 24 tells us that they get indignant with these two brothers. Uh, They don't want to be left out of any kind of discussion where they're talking about positions of authority and power. And I think there's probably a combination of both jealousy and some FOMO, right? Some fear of missing out going on with the other 10. And so, so they start raising a ruckus as well. And Jesus decides, all right, this is kind of a mess. So he calls everybody together Uh, And he wants to do some explaining to them and help them understand what greatness and authority uh, in his kingdom is really about. And so that's where we get to verse 25. Jesus called them together and he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, in other words the non-Jews, lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. So in the Roman world of their day, uh, position was in status were incredibly important things. The higher uh, the position or status that you had in an organization or even in society <clears throat> totally uh, was related to how many people or what kind of people you could have authority over or control. And so the higher the authority or position that you had in society, uh, the more chance you had to bring other people under you and you could tell them what to do and get them to accomplish your goals uh, that you wanted to see accomplished. So this idea of uh, having status so that you could have others do your bidding to get your goals to come about, that's the picture of authority that the disciples would have had in their mind as they're having this conversation with Jesus. But in verse 26 and 27, Jesus says that in his kingdom, things work a little bit differently. Uh, We read in the passage, Jesus says, It is not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So in two sentences, Jesus flips the power structure of the ancient world completely on its head. He says that the world's way is not the way of his kingdom. Greatness, he says, is defined by serving others. 
And the two words that he uses to describe this in the passage in the original Greek are diakonos and doulos, which mean servant and slave, respectively. And these were the two lowest positions that anyone could have in society. They carried zero authority and power with them. And yet Jesus says that in his kingdom, when one lowers oneself to the position of a servant, that is what puts them on the path to greatness. To drive his point home, he makes himself the prime example of this. Uh, In Matthew 20, verse 28, we read, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, The term Son of Man there comes from the Old Testament. Uh, Often, it's used in a very generic sense for just a human being. Uh, It means someone who's the son of the first man, Adam, so the descendant of the first man, so the Son of Man. But in later writings, uh, especially in the prophets and particularly in the book of Daniel, that term son of man came to have a more specialized meaning, uh, which related to the Messiah that was promised who would come and deliver the people of Israel. And so in light of the conversation that's going on here, I think it's pretty clear that that's the sense that Jesus is using uh, when he's talking to the guys. And it's important because it makes sense that any king or Messiah should have every right to expect that when he shows up on the scene, people would come and serve him, right? They would do his bidding to get his agenda done in the world. And yet, Jesus says, as the Messiah, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the ultimate example of this. If anybody could have said, please come serve me and do what I want, it was Jesus. And he says, nope, that's not the route I'm going to take. Amazingly, this upside-down approach uh, to power and authority changed uh, Western and Near Eastern civilization. Uh, In Jesus' day, serving and humility were not seen as virtues. In fact, they were seen as weaknesses. And yet, 2,000 years later, as a result of Jesus' example and millions who have followed him in the intervening centuries, we see serving and humility as character qualities that are to be admired in people. He changed the whole thing. Uh, practical example of this. So uh, when I was just out of college, I spent a year working for a computer software store uh, before I was going to spend a year going overseas to do some missions work. And at the store, I had two managers that I worked with. One liked to give instruction to the employees and then spend most of the rest of their shift uh, in the back room doing paperwork and talking on the phone to friends and sometimes talking to managers at other stores to see what the company scuttlebutt was, uh, but rarely came out on the floor to do any sort of managing. The other manager that I had, he spent a lot of time on the floor with the employees. Uh, When there was a task that needed to be done, like cleaning shelves, he would not just ask somebody else to do it, but he would grab two squirt bottles, spray bottles, and two cloths, He would hand one set to an employee, he would take the other himself, and together we would work on cleaning the shelves in the store. Now, my guess is it's it's pretty obvious to you which manager I preferred working for, Um, not just because I did less work, but because this guy, uh, he was never asking any of his employees to do something that he himself wasn't willing to do on his own. And understandably, all the employees really liked him. In the same way, uh, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already been willing to do himself. Serving others 
is the way of Jesus. And so if we're going to follow him as his disciples, then serving needs to be our way as well. We serve because Jesus, our Lord and teacher, served others, and we're merely following his example. So the example of Jesus is our first why behind why we would serve as a community. Uh, The second example uh, that we get from Jesus is similar in terms of why, but it's slightly different, uh, and that difference I think is important. Uh, We're going to jump to Paul's letter to the Philippian church, uh, and in that letter, the Apostle Paul is addressing an issue of disunity in the church, and he says that the solution that the Philippians should take is to imitate Jesus in a slightly different way, and this is what he writes in chapter 2. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That sounds familiar from what we've heard so far. Uh, Verse 4 reads, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This seems like a natural outflow of considering others as more important than ourselves. I do think it's uh, important to note here, Jesus or Paul does not say that we're to ignore our own uh, wants or interests. He says that we're merely to also notice the interests and wants of other people, their needs. Well, it continues in verse 5. Paul writes, your attitude should be same, the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then Paul's going to describe what that attitude is, but he's going to do it uh, by using a poem, which might also have been a hymn or a song, that the early church would have been familiar with. And some scholars believe that this might be the earliest uh, codified or written down uh, sort of, uh, oh gosh, what do you, I, lost, I lost my word there. Uh, not quite a catechism, but like something that people would memorize so that they would remember uh, creed. Thank you. Excellent. All right. See, team effort. Um, would have been one of the earliest creeds that the, the early Christians would have memorized in terms of helping them remember who Jesus was and what he did. So this is what uh, Paul refers to when he's talking about this attitude that Jesus had that we're to imitate. Uh, verses 6, he starts here, uh, Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in, the like, in human likeness. Uh, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the, the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in this passage, we've moved from Jesus' example uh, of service to looking at his very nature. Like all of God's moral commands, uh, this attitude that we're to adopt flows from the character of God himself. Uh, humility and serving are a part of who God is. And so Jesus served because it was his nature to do so. It's just who he was. So for us, <clears throat> serving others is a demonstration to them of what God is actually like. We're showing the character and nature of Jesus when we do things for other people. Uh, We serve because God is a serving God. And we're called to both adopt his character and to reflect it to others in the world around us. So the nature of God is our second why when it comes to why we would serve others. The third why 
behind serving uh, is going to seem a little different than the first two. And, it, and initially, it might seem like it's actually opposed to them, but trust me, it's not. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, <clears throat> the third why is this. Serving is actually good for us. Uh, now, on the surface, that might sound a little selfish, but I don't think there's anything that says that us doing something for another person can't also be good for us at the same time. And I think that's what we see in the scriptures. Uh, it's also interesting to me, uh, <clears throat> and I'll get there in a second. Uh, there's, there's two reasons that uh, I think serving is good for us. One's kind of theological uh, in nature, and one is more practical. And so I'll start with the theological one. Uh, in Matthew 16, we find the very first instance of Jesus announcing his coming uh, death and resurrection to his disciples. And understandably, uh, they did not take that announcement very well. In fact, Peter tells Jesus, Lord, this is never going to happen, which of course prompts a very stern rebuke from Jesus. But after that, he takes the opportunity uh, to teach his disciples and to give them some more perspective. And this is what he says in Matthew 16, uh, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. So these words, especially the second half, uh, appear in all four Gospels. And when that happens, it means that this is probably a core teaching of some kind, and it's something that we should pay attention to. Uh, Following Jesus, as he's acknowledging here, is not always easy. In fact, sometimes it can feel like a dying to what we thought was normal or familiar to us. But Jesus says that whoever lives a self-centered life, in other words, whoever wants to save their life, they're going to end up missing out on life in the end. And conversely, whoever lives an other-centered life or loses their life for his sake will actually find the life that they really want. The life that we're made and created for, the one that's full and meaningful and satisfying, is a life that is not centered on ourselves, but it's centered on God and others. And so when we live out God's greatest two commands to love him and to love others, then we set ourselves up to experience the life that we were created for, the life that we always wanted. The act of serving teaches us to adopt an other-centered perspective, which helps us become more like Jesus And it helps us become more like the people that God created us to be. We weren't created to be self-obsessed individuals. We were created to love God and love others. And when we live that out, we experience the sense of this is who I'm supposed to be. All right, so that's the first uh, way in which serving is good for us. The second reason that serving is good for us is going to seem a little bit more practical, uh, but I personally think it's the other side of the same coin here. Uh, Amazingly, or maybe not so amazingly, uh, modern research has discovered in the last hundred years, or verified in the last hundred years, this idea that serving is actually good for us. And I always love it when the modern world uh, discovers something that the world is known as true for a couple thousand years. But I think it's also wonderful, just it's verification that the things that Jesus said years and years ago are still true today. They have not changed. So 
Uh, First, researchers have found that serving and volunteering actually improves the physical and mental health of those who are involved in serving. Uh, Since doing something for another person usually involves getting up and moving and going and doing something, uh, people who are involved in serving have reported uh, in this study uh, better physical health than those who are not involved in serving. And volunteers also reported a lower experience of depression and anxiety. So it has a physical response to us when we, or effect on us when we serve. Uh, Volunteering, they found, reduces stress and promotes a positive attitude because doing so releases a chemical in the brain uh, called dopamine, which gives us a positive feeling. And that reduced stress, again, it led to better overall physical and uh, mental well, well-being for the people involved. And it also, according to the study, contributed to longer lifespans for people who were involved in serving as opposed to those who were not. Now, <clears throat> real quick aside, uh, you need to hear, that's not a guarantee that if you serve, you'll live longer. But in general, people who are involved in giving to others and not living just for themselves tend to live longer than those who don't. All right. <clears throat> Second, they found that serving others gave people a sense of purpose. Uh, Contributing to the well-being of others gave people a greater sense of satisfaction and self-esteem. Knowing that they were part of something bigger than themselves helped them to feel better about life in general and brought an increased sense of meaning uh, in their lives. And then finally, uh, researchers discovered that volunteering helped deepen existing relationships and it opened up possibilities to form new friendships. And friendships are incredibly important in the experience of happiness in life. Uh, for the last uh, little over 75 years, uh, there's a group of folks at Harvard who have been doing the longest study on happiness ever. I think there have been at least four directors of the study. Um, they started with uh, young men, half of whom were uh, Harvard students and half of which were uh, people from really uh, low-income, difficult neighborhoods in Boston, and they followed them over the last 75 years. And after seven and a half decades of research, their greatest takeaway <clears throat> is that quality relationships is the single greatest determining factor as to whether or not people will live a life that is happy. 75 years of research, and what they discovered was having friends is a good thing, right? Okay. <clears throat> but I think it's wonderful that, <laughs> that something that we just take for granted, someone has done a deep dive on and can verify, no, this, this really is. It didn't matter where the people in the study started. Those uh, that developed quality relationships ended up way happier than the people who didn't develop them over time. And so serving provides opportunity for those kind of relationships to deepen uh, in our lives and gives possibility for new ones, which means potentially it could lead to a happier life. So <clears throat> that's the second reason uh, that serving is good for us. Not only uh, serving the, is serving the way of Jesus, uh, and not only is it a reflection of the nature of God, but serving others is also good for us. <clears throat> it helps us experience the kind of life that God designed us for, one that is rich and meaningful and has purpose. And it actually helps us feel better and maybe live longer. All right, so hopefully uh, there's some meaningful whys for you today as you think about entering into serving. Uh, With all those good reasons, 
I want to talk briefly about why is it that we so often find ourselves in a place where we think it's hard to serve others. Uh, What keeps us from doing that more often? I'm sure there's a number of reasons. Uh, I suspect one culprit is often we feel like we don't have the time to do it. Uh, I think maybe another reason that often comes up is we feel like the needs of the world are so great that where do we even start? Uh, But I I think it's probably a lot simpler than we think it is, like a lot of things. Uh, First, I don't think we have to start with anything big or fancy. Uh, I think we can start right where we are in the places that we find ourselves, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our church community, in our neighborhood. <clears throat> the places that we go and ex- inhabit and experience life in every day provide tons of opportunities for us to notice people, uh, to consider them as being more important than ourselves, and to put their needs at least as important, if not more so, than our own. And those could be really simple things. Uh, It could be things like clearing the table after dinner without being asked, or taking out the trash. Uh, It might mean brewing a fresh pot of coffee at the office, or helping a coworker with a project, even though those things aren't part of your defined responsibilities in your job. There's all sorts of Uh, of ways day in and day out that we can notice people and their needs and find ways to serve them. Uh, Maybe taking things up a notch, uh, all of our kids, those of us who have children, uh, often their schools are looking for volunteers at certain events, and I think most of the time we're taking our kids to those events anyway, so why wouldn't we just sign up to serve alongside other people? Uh, We get to know our kids' parents, uh, their friends' parents, and develop relationships, and it's a wonderful opportunity to serve right where we are. All right, so I, I don't think time and lack of opportunity have to be barriers for us. I think there's a lot more opportunities for us to serve right where we live day in and day out. Uh, Lastly, of course, as we think about maybe some of the bigger picture, uh, there are plenty of organizations in the city that are doing incredible work. Uh, They're trying to tackle problems that one person or one family can't tackle on their own. Uh, Over the years, New Cub has supported a number of them, uh, specifically uh, Fresh Start, which helps women get out of uh, the experience of homelessness, and Royal Family Kids Camp, which helps children in the uh, foster system have opportunities to learn and grow, but also be mentored by other people. Uh, If you'd like to know more about those organizations, you can find more uh, on our webpage, uh, on our website. There's a page called Invest in Others, uh, and you also find contact info for people that you can talk to. I think Lalani and Jan Michaels' emails are on there. You could get a hold of them if you want to find out how to be involved more in one of those uh, those organizations. Uh, so those are a couple starting points for you if serving in an organization is something you'd want to do. But as a staff were thinking about this, uh, we decided we want to provide more practical opportunities, and I'm going to invite the worship team up here, uh, for you all to practice and experience serving. And so what we've decided we want to do is we're going to dedicate the entire month of October to practicing serving. And we have, I think this is official, if not, I'll be corrected, uh, we've dubbed it October Serve. That's what we're going to call the month of October. So, so you'll start hearing that term more and more. Uh, Dr. Wellstead gets credit for that one. Thank you. Thank you, Brett. Uh, you'll hear more about that uh, next week. Troy's going to give a lot of the details about what that will look like. Uh, it'll be simple things from just 
opening a, holding a door open for somebody when you're going into a building, all the way to uh, spending time uh, at a local organization helping uh, pack food for distributions and all sorts of stuff in between. So like I said, I don't want to steal Troy's thunder. I'm going to let him unpack October serve next week. Uh, but there are plenty of opportunities for us to learn day in and day out. Uh, and we want to spend the month of October practicing serving. And I'm excited about it because I think it's an opportunity to take something that New Cove is already good at and learning how to be even better at it. Uh, we have a tradition of serving, and I think it's going to be a great experience for us in October. So let me pray for us. Father, when I think about you uh, being servant, a servant in your own nature and at heart, um, it kind of blows me away a little bit. Uh, you have every right to uh, ask for everything from us, uh, and yet when you came, you came to serve and to give yourself for other people. So, Father, I pray uh, for myself that you would help me to live that out more and more each day uh, in the relationships that I'm in and the places that I find themselves, myself in. Uh, and I pray that for uh, everyone who's here this morning, whether in the building or watching online, uh, that you would help them to find ways to uh, just for a couple of minutes each day, take their eyes off of the craziness of their own lives and think about other people, even if it's just family members around them. Uh, look at their needs and find a practical way to enter into those and serve them. And we know it doesn't have to be big, but I pray that as we practice serving, that you'd help us to become more like you. And that as we become more like you, that our serving would actually be an opportunity to show what you are like to the world around us so that people would notice and want to ask, why would you live that way? Uh, and we would get to say, because that's how Jesus lives, and he's the one we follow. So, Father, I ask all these things this morning uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen.